0: Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. It's a very significant day in our calendar. It's Palm Sunday. And... So often we focus on Easter and forget about what happens the week before, but I feel really privileged as I've unpacked this word through the week. I feel really privileged to be preaching on this topic because it is a really significant day. It sets up so much of what God's heart is for his people and for what's going to happen in the week to follow. And I've been honestly <laughs> on an emotional roller coaster, and the emotional roller coaster will make up my points tonight. So, um, the my three points I have is that we see the good news of a prophecy fulfilled in this story. We see rejoicing and praising the rightful king finally, but then we also reflect on the significance that it's actually really deep sadness in this story knowing that these people are rejoicing and something, um, it, they're about to change their minds only a week later. It's very, it's quite an intense story and it's quite a big story, but I hope that tonight as we reflect on all of it, we would see that God loves us so much. It honestly exceeds our expectations and I can only think of our response to be in that as to worship the true King um, and Give Him all the glory and honour that He deserves. So I pray that as we unpack this together, that would be what comes of tonight. But shall we pray? Let's pray and lift this message up to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for You. I'm so grateful for you. I wouldn't be here without you. We wouldn't be here without you. Lord Jesus, you have something that you want to say to each and every one of us, including myself. And I ask that as we unpack your word, that it would be your words, not mine, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Your Holy Spirit would be moving in and through us, Lord Jesus. I ask that we would walk out different to what we came in, Lord, that we would be, reflecting on this story and have a desire to worship you, to glorify you, to stand in awe of you. And Lord, we would receive the love that you have for us that truly exceeds our expectations. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would use me tonight. Take me out of it and replace me with you and your words, Lord Jesus. Um, We gift this, this service to you tonight. In your name we pray, amen. So Palm Sunday, at this point in history, Jesus is preparing for his final days on earth and we have four accounts of this Palm Sunday event, which tells me that it's a really significant event. If all four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John say something about this event and tell it in quite detail, that means it's significant. So we're going to do a little bit. We're going to be a bit tricky tonight. And if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to pull them out. And if you're a quick flicker, then that means this is the message for you. Because we're going to quickly flick between each and every Gospel so that hopefully we can get a bigger picture and a better understanding of all the moving parts. All the four Gospels tell the story and tell it quite similarly, but they also have details that help us get a bigger picture of what happens and a more holistic picture. So we're going to start with Matthew 21. If you want to turn to Matthew 21, um, that's where we're going to start. And we're going to quickly flick. But if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, it's on the screen. I'm not going to quickly flick because otherwise I'll take too long. Um, But it's going to be on the screen behind me and you can read the whole story with me. So starting in Matthew 21, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth's page on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Zechariah. And it says, Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. Now, if you keep your finger in Matthew 21, we find that in Mark and John, they add a few details that People did ask if they were taking the donkey. So if we go to Mark 11, Mark 11 in verse 4, it says, They went and found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered as Jesus had told them and the people let them go which again fulfils prophecy. Then back to where your finger has marked in Matthew 21, verse 7, it says, They bought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road as well. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And we'll know why the crowd answered like that in just a second. So let's flip to John 12. Is anyone keeping up with me? Nice, yeah, let's go. Quick flickers, love it. At first, oh, sorry, John 12, 16. At first, His disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about Him and that these things had been done to Him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus, so this is the crowd telling the people in Jerusalem that he is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. They had just been with Lazarus from the tomb and they saw him raised from the dead and they continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they said to one another, see, this is getting nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Then our final flick is into Luke 19. And it's a beautiful way to end this. He adds an intense but beautiful detail saying that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said to them, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build up an embankment against you And encircle you and hem you on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Good job to all of our quick flickers. Well done. You did it, but it's a... It's a really big, intense story. And like I said, you immediately know the significance of it because it's recounted in all four Gospels. So it tells me that we need to pay attention to this story. Last week, we kicked the King Jesus series off and it's talking, we're talking through this series about how Jesus was an unexpected King. And in this story, even though there was prophecy spoken and fulfilled, Jesus still did an unexpected thing. It was probably the first time on his, in his earth time, it was the first time while he was on earth, that he was recognised as king. And that's unexpected because... I will tell you. Um, So we start this story with Jesus asking his disciples to find a donkey, a colt so he can ride into Jerusalem. And it's an interesting detail because even though we have similar and different parts in all four Gospels, this is quite detailed in each of them. So it's important. So... And before I looked into this in depth this week, I truly never made connections how significant a donkey would be. That Jesus riding in a donkey is part of a greater story and sometimes we miss it because we forget what we have read in the past. We don't understand the prophetic nature of the event or even um, that this seemingly insignificant moment had such a profound cultural impact. So hopefully we can unpack it as we unfold this bigger story. But if you've read a lot of the Old Testament, particularly the books where the prophets are prophesying about Jesus, we, I read a source this week that said there was, they found 351 prophecies spoken about Jesus and were fulfilled. It wasn't just spoken about him. That's a lot of details that Jesus has to get right in his life, but it was prophecies spoken over his life that were fulfilled. And we get to look at one of those in this story. In Zechariah 9 verse 9, it says, "'Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your King comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey.'" Now, thinking about donkeys this week because I didn't know the significance of it, I would say they're probably not the most beautiful creature in my opinion. They aren't ugly or anything, but they are definitely no stallion, right? They're no stallion. And if you take a look, this is what donkeys look like. They're kind of cute, I guess, but when you look at a black stallion, majestic, right? So my mum loves horses. She used to train racehorses when she lived in Melbourne. She as a young uh, as a young professional and she loves horses and so when she finished her PhD at the start of this year we took her to see Outback Spectacular. And Outback Spectacular is a phenomenal show and I'm definitely going to wreck it for you today if you want to go see the current one that's going, but in the story they have this part where the farmers find out that there's this black stallion loose on their property and they want to go find it and befriend it, I guess. And then so they, at the start of the show, they have this massive LED screen with this black stallion running over mountains, kind of man from Snowy River kind of vibes. And so you see this stallion, it's beautiful, it's majestic, it's amazing. And I leaned over to, over to my mum and I said, Mom, have you ever seen a black stallion before? And she said, no, but... Honestly, they are so expensive, I doubt that Outback Spectacular would have one. And I I said to her, I was like, we're at Outback Spectacular, they have one job to have expensive horses. No, I didn't say that. I said, um, just wait, Mum, surely, I paid a lot of money for this, surely they have a black stallion. And sure enough, in a few minutes, out runs this beautiful, and I, I'm, I'm, Mum's the horse fan, but I could appreciate this horse riding out into the middle of the arena, this big, beautiful, black stallion. And mum almost fell off her seat. I wish I had a video of it to show you tonight. Alas, I do not. But can you imagine for a moment, can you imagine Jesus, the King of the universe, riding in on a black stallion it would have made this story so much better don't you reckon he's the creator of the universe and if he wanted a black stallion in that moment I mean he got two of every animal on a boat for 40 days if he wanted a black stallion he could have had a black stallion to ride into Jerusalem as his victorious moment but no Jesus chooses a donkey the king of the universe rides in on a donkey. And now at this time through and throughout history, it was widely known that kings would ride in, coming home from a triumphant battle on a beautiful horse and people would adorn them and love them. And it was tradition. It was widely known across, um, across that part of the world. And when you look at a stallion or really any horse that has come out of battle, they are big and beautiful and muscular. And you would have... It would have been amazing seeing a king all dressed up in his get-up and people everywhere just throwing stuff at it. I don't even know what it would have like, looked like, but it would have been a really celebratory moment. And it makes sense for a king to ride in on a big, beautiful beast. And if Zechariah prophesied that he'd ride in on a donkey, surely that part of the prophecy could have been overlooked. Like, it's a black stallion. That would have been Amazing. But no, here our king, the most important king in all of history, chooses a donkey. He rides in on a donkey because it symbolises a king coming to bring peace to his people. It was a display of humility. He wouldn't have been towering over the people on this big, beautiful beast, but he would have almost been at eye level, sitting on a donkey and... It was a symbol of peace. It was beautiful. On another note, as I was thinking about all the other times I vaguely recalled hearing about a donkey in the Bible, can you think of any other times you've heard it in his word? Balaam is donkey, it's you got to go back to your Sunday school days. Balaam and his donkey. Balaam was riding his donkey. The donkey wasn't doing the right thing because an angel was standing before him and so Balaam beats his donkey and then this just still doesn't register in my mind how this could have happened, but the Lord opens the donkey's mouth and speaks through the donkey to the owner and pretty much says, "What are you doing?" And the can, I just I just can't even imagine what I would have done in that situation. But The donkey speaks to his owner and says, what are you doing? And absolutely humbles his owner in that moment as he is getting frustrated. Mary rides in on a donkey with Jesus in her belly. It's a sign of humility and grace for all mankind. And I was thinking this week, Jesus entered our world on a donkey and almost left our world in an act of humility the same way. And again, in an act of humility, the Samaritan used a donkey to put a beaten, bruised Jew, his absolute rival, he put this man on his donkey to carry him to tend to his wounds. All throughout the Bible, it's a symbol, and there's more, I, I don't have time to go through all of them, but there's more, it's a symbol of peace, of humility, connecting all of humanity to God, our King. And just like the story of the Samaritan, this peace was not just for a small persecuted group of people, but showing peace for all of humankind. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey and the next part of the story says that the crowds lined the side of the roads and they worshipped the king that they hoped would save them from their oppressors. They waved palm branches and declared his goodness and victory. But in that moment, they could not grasp the goodness of his victory that would be coming in the following week. People yelled, Hosanna, which means save now. They were thinking that this man, this Messiah was coming to save them from the Roman Empire, from their oppression. They yelled, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But what they didn't know was that he was not only coming in the name of the Lord, he was the Lord, the crowds had huge expectations in their mind for who and what Jesus was going to do. And I reckon it would have been so surprising seeing him riding on a donkey, even though they knew the prophecy, they, it would have been surprising, but they still yelled and waved their, waved their branches and put down their cloaks in hope that he would fight for them against the Roman Empire, for the people. And when I first read this story, I think, Finally, finally they're worshipping the right king. Finally, they've got it right. After all the Old Testament of them going, rebelling against God, of them saying, yes, God, no God, yes, God, no God. After all the sceptics, after all the idols they put before God, finally they seem to be worshipping the rightful king. But even in their praise, they truly didn't understand who they had in front of him. They were waiting for an earthly king to save them from their current challenges. But the king riding before them on a lowly donkey was about to bring salvation for all of humankind. And though we might initially look at this event and say, finally, they got it right, we read on and see that in the midst of the praise of this moment, Jesus wept for Jerusalem he knew in his heart that it wouldn't be long before these same people would turn their backs on them, on him, betray him and crucify him. His heart broke with the reality that they needed a savior but they had the wrong picture. They had the wrong expectations in their mind of what the king needed to be to save them, but not for what the king was going to do to save all of humanity. Jesus could see the corruptness of religion. They were caught up in rules. They were proud. They were judgmental. And doesn't that sound scarily familiar? Doesn't it sound scarily familiar to today? We get caught up in religion in expectation of who God is and what we think He should do for us. We miss that grace is all we need, but we get caught in religion. People are walking away from God and it breaks my heart, left, right and centre because He has not met their expectations. Yet Jesus still, fully knowing the brokenness and the hypocritical hearts of the people and us today, rode into Jerusalem to fulfil this prophecy. And I want us today to a little bit sit in the discomfort of that. Can you imagine what it would have been like for him? Each person he looked at, picture yourself being in the crowd and him looking you in the eyes. He knew what they would do a week later. He knows what you're going to do a week later. He knows what you've done the week just gone. They were no longer going to be shouting, Hosanna. They were yelling, crucify him, kill him. He looks at them and he looks at us and he says, I know what you're going to do, but I love you. You're worth it. I'm doing it for you. Just like the people waving branches and yelling, Hosanna, we know. We look for someone to take away our present troubles and fulfil our expectations that we have of God. But God had a bigger plan. He has a bigger plan that his son was there to save all of humankind, to get rid of sin and fight his final battle on the cross. Which brings me to the last part of this story, my final point for today. We are fortunate enough to have hindsight, knowing what will happen next. Jesus proceeds to flip tables and have communion with his best friends and to sweat blood knowing what he's about to do. And the king of the universe replaces his throne for a cross and his crown for thorns. And he did it for you and for me. And for all those people he looked in the eye as he rode into, into Jerusalem. It's probably the thing I find most profound about this, mess, this passage is that even as he wept and cried and people shouted Hosanna and did all that they did, he was preparing himself for the cross. It was his final days on earth. People were yelling Hosanna, but he knew what would happen in the days to follow. This was what he'd been preparing for his whole entire life was the reason why Jesus came to live amongst us. As said, Sab said, it was planned from the start of all time. He wanted to come down from heaven to be with us. And the way this event unfolds is a beautiful reminder that God didn't shout his love from the heavens. He didn't sit on his throne and look down upon us saying he loved us, but he came to be amongst us to show us consistently simply and beautifully just how much he loves us. I thought about this passage growing up so much, and I was so confused because I wondered how the people could one day praise him and the next day turn and crucify him on a cross. And it makes me wonder, would I have done the same? If I was in that current situation, in that situation, would I have been amongst the crowd would I have changed my mind that quickly? Would I have been influenced by the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, because they were afraid, they were fearful of this King that was different to all their rules, that was different to their religion? He, he was, He is different. But God didn't shout His love from heaven. He showed us consistently, beautifully and simply just how much He loves us. And even though as I grew up, I put myself back in that time, and wondered what I'd do. What about our time? What about right now? I've got to check myself. We all got to check ourselves. Are we a part of the crowd? Are we today part of this crowd, worshipping God and yelling Hosanna as we so beautifully did at the start and then going into our workplaces and faced by our Pharisees, faced by our crowds and doing the exact opposite? Are we crucifying God in the week and worshipping Him on a Sunday? It's harsh. And I have to check myself all the time. This message is just as much for me as it is for everyone. But we need to check ourselves. Are we that crowd? Or are we standing apart? What happens next in the story? We'll find out next week. God establishes the throne of King Jesus on earth forever. And there is honestly only one thing I can think of to do in response to all of this. I wrestled with how we would respond and close up this message, but the only thing I can think of to do in response is to worship Him. Our hearts were created. We were created from the beginning of time to worship our King. And I'm sure Jesus would have longed. He would have desired for in that moment their worship to be sincere and to be lasting, but it wasn't. They were happy to worship God when it suit their expectations of thinking he would come and solve their current challenges. But they were not happy a week later when he wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing. He wasn't meeting their expectations, so they crucified Him. Do we too do the same? Do we only worship God when He's meeting our expectations and when everything is good? Or do we worship God through it all? God's love for us goes beyond our present struggles and needs. It exceeds our expectation. And we need to trust today and forever that He has a beautiful, big plan that goes beyond what we could even comprehend. So this evening, I want our response to be really simple and stripped back. I want to come humbly before the King. If I could invite the worship team to come up. We have an opportunity tonight to worship Him as our King, our rightful King, And I wanna ask you, do you commit to worshipping now and tomorrow when you come and walk into your workplaces and face your own Pharisees? When the crowd is going away from grace and towards religion, do you commit to worshipping Him no matter what? When He doesn't meet your expectations in this life, when He doesn't meet your current challenges, do you still choose to worship Him no matter what? Why don't we stand? There's nothing. There's nothing that you have to do right now or say or get in check right now to come before your King. There's no sin too big. There's no thing you're going to do in the future or thing you've done in the past too much that God doesn't want you to come before Him and worship Him. You might think of yourself right now as being part of the crowd, but that doesn't discount this moment that you can worship Him with everything that you've got. Let's not waste this moment. Let's lift our eyes and our heart to Him, seeing Him for who He really is and thank Him for everything that He has done for us. We have the beautiful privilege of hindsight if you don't know what happens next week many years ago then i really encourage you to come back but let me give you a small snippet he carried a cross the king of the universe the guy who created you who created me who formed you in your mother's womb who created all of this world he carried a cross utterly blameless no sin And He hung upon a cross, nails in His hands, nails in His feet, and He said, it is finished. That means everything in the past that you've done, everything that those people did on the road, everything you're gonna do in the future, it is finished. No sin, nothing can separate you from your Father. And then three days later, I'm totally wrecking the story for next week, He rose again. So you could spend eternity, eternity with Him. This life is so short. Surely we can worship Him with everything that we've got right now, right? Surely. It's the one thing we can do. It's the only response I can think of to this beautiful moment in time that we get to reflect upon. Let's worship Him tonight together.